0: Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today is a sponsored episode with Scaledy, and we're going to be talking about their brand new platform, Artesca. And you know what? Artesca is more than just an object store. It's more than just one storage system, and that's one of the things that we learned over the course of this episode.
1: Yeah, I thought this was like, it's like a really fast tier one storage array. Nope, that is not what is <laughs> all about. It can be that, but it is other things. It will integrate tightly into your Kubernetes environment. It can uh, be storage for public cloud. It can be a lot of things. Uh, in fact, I ask a question partway through. It's like, it's kind of like a storage proxy, and I was kind of right and a little bit wrong in, in that. Anyway, you need to listen to the show to understand what Scality Artesca is all about. For modern workloads, it fits into a lot of interesting scenarios.
0: Yeah, and... We got a lot of those scenarios from Brad King, who's the co founder of Scality. He is on the podcast, as well as Nicholas Tranje. He's the principal architect from Scality, so he can talk to the whole architecture behind it. And we even get into some hardware, some actual physical hardware with Carol Bassett from HPE, because they have a partnership going there. So enjoy this episode with Scality. Scality crew, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. And for those who are not so familiar maybe with Scality as an organization, can you tell me what is Scality historically known for? And Brad, I'm going to hand that one over to you first.
2: So Scality is known for storage. We are a software company. We developed uh, the technology a little over 10 years ago. It's a distributed storage platform that does Object storage, file system and object storage, in fact, is a native platform. And we're known for scale. Uh, That's where the name comes from. Uh, (laughs) We have uh, lots of multi-petabyte platforms around the world. Uh, So we're known for, I would say, mission critical, uh, really massive storage platforms based on a truly software-defined model.
1: Well, you guys have a big announcement. You've uh, you've got a product that you've brought to market, Artesca. Can you summarize Artesca? What, What is this announcement all about? So to
2: go along with the idea that Scality does really massive systems, we've had quite a bit of interest over the years from from our partners and from customers. Uh, Can't we do a small Scality? Can't we do one server? Can't we do two servers? And the whole system was designed to be a fully distributed system. And it was very hard uh, to to transform that model. So that's one of the things... Uh, that we really worked very hard on. We wanted a new technology uh, that would be fast, that would work with flash storage. We wanted a new technology that people could deploy very simply, something a little more shrink-wrapped. And so uh, that pro- prompted Artesca. There's a lot of other things we could talk about, but maybe those are two of the key things. Being able to start small and simple, uh, being fast for flash storage, and then we we can talk about a lot of other things that Artesca brings to the table as well. So right. a
1: small uh, flash, as in that's that's my tier one when I'm pulling my data off primarily, so I'm getting really quick response time and uh, and high throughput. Is there certain applications, use cases that we're aiming our Tesca at?
2: AI and, and ML is certainly a growing uh, interest, but uh, we're seeing a lot of people having an interest in doing get-put-deletes. Uh, the really low latency. I think some people are replacing database blobs with the technology and working in containerized environments. It's very interesting to have an API that you can you can make things permanent uh, with a very fast uh, interface. So those are some of the things that are driving it. And the fact that, that, that flash storage is inexpensive enough today, people just get used to things being fast. Now object storage wasn't historically, but was considered fast but a lot of our customers are using it uh, as as fast storage, at least fast enough to be human interactive. And we consider that really key to be able to be human interactive.
1: Along the way there, you said containers and AI or um, API sort of workloads. Does that mean, did you just say Kubernetes?
2: <laughs> I, I did not, as a matter of fact, but I could have, I could have said yeah. Kubernetes. But certainly Kubernetes is one of the big places where that's happening. Uh, you know, that's the the container Franca, whatever you call that, but it's the the container container model that everyone is adopting. And obviously there's even a little more of an abstraction up from that, which is Lambda functions, which is just I just call things and they mm-hmm. they they do work. So, I think we'll, we'll see more and more of that. But in any case, we're talking about things that tend to be much more ephemeral in nature and would like to have the whole world as an API.
0: Right, right. Now, you did mention that this is an object storage platform. Does that mean that there's not a file storage component to Artesca?
2: So that is a difference with Scality um, Ring technology, which does have a native file system, and it represents actually about 50% of our business, really large file system deployments. Mm. But Tesca is purely object storage. And for all practical purposes, we're talking Amazon S3 protocol-based object storage with all those characteristics, that people have become used to expecting from an object storage like that.
0: Right, and when I think of object storage, I tend to think of big archives, just being able to throw a whole bunch of files somewhere or objects somewhere for retrieval later. Maybe it's a data warehouse, something like that. And I don't think of primary storage. I don't think of like super fast. Is that obviously the use case you're going for with Artesca is more along that primary storage route. How does that integrate with my understanding of object storage?
2: What to say, I think the the AI kinds of things, some some of the people that we're working with, I think Splunk would be a very easy example, um, have moved moving on uh, f- from a model where you just have local storage on systems. And so they want a pool of storage back behind. They have really fast indexes on SSDs, but very quickly they access data on, on the, the platform. Now that's not cold, it's warm. But again, um, we're talking about wanting things to be available fast. Uh, The media industry is another place where um, media asset management technologies uh, have adapted their their strategies to include object stores. So um, and and again, you're you're looking at at a a media asset management platform is interfacing with a human and they have a video and they click and they don't want to have to go get a coffee while the video is, is loading. And that's one of the things It's moving a lot of people off of tape. uh, And that's true in the hospital world as well. You know, you have a doctor that wanted to see a patient record. They went away for the 24 hours while it came back off tape. And then they could look at the patient records the next day. Uh, Now we have uh, people in an operating room that said, doggone it, I wish I knew two years ago what this thing looked like, this tumor looked like, and they can just click and bring it up. And again, you're talking about human interactive speeds. You know, you're not talking about uh, a database. You're not talking about sub-milliseconds latencies, but you're talking about, uh, I click and I have what I want kind
1: of latencies. Brad, you've mentioned along the way here, uh, flash storage. So when I purchase an Artesca solution. Am I getting the storage or is this actually control plane and abstraction and I need to supply my own storage?
2: So what you're getting is technology that uses hardware that stores data, right? The, 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 in the end, you end up with block devices of some kind, be they hard, spinning hard drives, um, QLC flash, uh, NVMe flash, some kind of, some kind of system that is storing data. Right. And and, but, and they that can be more or less abstracted. It can be bare metal. It can be somewhere in the middle.
1: But I get something from Scality. I get something in a box that I mount in a rack and I power it on and it spins and goes Whoor! And then there's storage or No, we're we're gonna call out to our friends and
2: partners like HPE are gonna su- going to supply the hardware. So we we're just a software company.
0: Okay. So The software that's being supplied is sort of the control plane, what's giving you that object store and being able to manage all the various components that make up our Tesca? But that's going to be abstracted a little away from the hardware that underlies it. Though I guess for a really good performance storage system, you do need to, you know, have that hardware hooked nicely into the software is that something that you're working towards with your various hardware partners? Uh, absolutely, and I mean
2: we we've worked for years with hardware partners on making sure that the hardware that's being developed, next generations of hardware, makes sense uh, for our platform. But the the industry has really come along in great ways that have helped us out. Um, faster Ethernet uh, is one of those ways. Um, faster faster backplanes. There's all kinds of things that, that you know we've just we just rise with the tide. In general, without investing a lot of money um, in, in in new technologies, but we try to be as standard as we can. We're not using anything particularly exotic, but you know NVMe flash, I think, is one of those things that just came our way, uh, and and we're doing our best to take good advantage of it.
0: Right, we just we just happen to have one of your partners on the podcast with us, uh, Carol. You're from HPE, correct? And uh, and you've formed this partnership with with Scality and speci- specifically around the Artesca platform. Can you explain what the connection is there and, and what you've done to sort of make Artesca run even better?
3: Yeah, happy to talk about that. So we worked really closely with Scality through this entire development process. Um, really good collaboration where we were able to show them our hardware roadmap plans and put in requirements saying we see where the industry is going, we see what customers are choosing to buy, and helping them get this artesca system prepared for uh, a new, whole new generation of platforms. For years, we've been selling object storage systems to customers who wanted the classic scale-out petabyte-size um, object solution that's going to sit in a data center. And we had storage-optimized servers that helped lower the dollar per terabyte cost of a class of a scalable petabyte system. Um, this is new, though. So I used to joke all the time that if you were buying object storage, just like those amusement parks, they have those signs that say, you must be this tall to ride the roller coaster. <laughs> <Right>. We, we <laughs> joked for years that your minimum investment into an object storage solution was a cluster worth of equipment. The cluster was how the data was protected. Also, it was how we did the scale. And so your first purchase was kind of pricey. It was a rack and a lot of equipment. This new solution lowers that bar. So we wanted to um, be able to bring to market a bunch of solutions suitable for a single node deployment with all the media choices. So I've got this incredible new range in my portfolio so that we can deliver what a customer wants. I'm not going to shoehorn people into a specific appliance model saying, you know, I have a hammer, you know, you are a nail, you will fit this, no other choices. It's um, our great portfolio, we can build it to suit. So I now have the ability to give you object storage in one U platforms, to you and for you, and your choice of NVMe, all solid state, or the classic hybrid models, which were hard disks and solid state for metadata. So uh, we've got it all now
0: got it all <laughs> what what does the underlying hardware look like on the platform is it just a bunch of nvme drives can i mix in something a little bit faster or a little bit slower in that and when you're talking about multiple servers what's the how are they interconnected together
2: yeah i mean it is a distributed storage technology right so um if you start with one server you obviously don't get a huge amount of of interconnect and whatnot, um, it's all in the box. But um, the interconnection between the servers is just TCP uh, interconnection, and we're using really really classic um, connectivity. Um, we can s- store on spinning hard drives, we can store on NVMe, we can store on uh, SSDs that are SATA SATA based, uh, and 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 we uh, typically would keep a, a class of storage on one of those particular media, we use metadata operations that are always on flash uh, for for speed, but but spinning hard drives can be the the place where a bulk of the data is put. and we get performance out of spinning hard drives by writing data to a whole bunch of them all at once. And maybe Nicola has more to add about how we use the underlying hardware that in in its all of its variety, but
1: is there a public cloud co- component to this where, you know, if I'm in the public cloud and I want to leverage Artesca as a storage array, is there an offering there or not?
2: There could be. Uh, the technology could run in a public cloud uh, and run on, on top of, for instance, a Kubernetes cluster in a public cloud. Uh, in, in a sense, we're providing something very similar to what many of the public's clouds, the GCPs, the, the Azure Blobs, the, the S3s are providing. So it's kind of like you doing virtualization on inside of a virtual machine at some point in time it gets a little silly but but right. certainly we what one thing we can do is we can uh, interact with public clouds push data to public clouds bring them back from public clouds we have a very rich set of functionalities that allows you to to come and go from public clouds mm. and, and and have part of your workload in a public cloud part of it private.
1: Does that make sense, Brad, architecturally? And I asked that from, I watched a bunch of demos that uh, that Scality has uh, available on YouTube and so on. Now, the, the, there's an emphasis here on performance and so on. So would it even make sense for to have a public cloud workload that's mounting Scality storage that's some high amount of latency, relatively speaking, high amount of latency distance away?
2: I think there's some interesting cases. Uh, a really, really easy one uh, is I have an Artesca platform that's kind of in the edge or very in the edge. Um, It's on a remote data center. And what I would like to do is make sure that I never lose my data. So what I would do would replicate that data potentially to a public cloud, and then I'd have a copy in in the public cloud. Uh, We have some customers doing some very interesting things where they didn't want to uh, have a second data center for for a disaster. So they uh, set up Scality uh, deployed on premises. This is not Artesca, but but it's it's the the makings of Artesca, if you like. Uh, and and they they backed up their data to the public cloud. And what they've done is they've uh, scripted the whole uh, platform that they're using on premises in the public cloud. Should their data center go down, they can just fire it up in the public cloud. Uh, the data is already there uh, running running with Scality. Uh, they can run all their applications on the public cloud and they're off and running. So they have a, a cheap and cheerful um, disaster recovery platform that they only spend the cost of the storage for unless they they need it. And then it's, it's a really nice insurance policy. Maybe one last example that I think uh, is pertinent and I think we're going to see more of in the future is imagine that I have a data set on my local platform take a whole collection of videos that somehow I've gotten hold of, and I'd really like to tag those with information that would be useful for the future. Now, I don't have a lot of expertise in in tagging my videos or maybe doing doing speech to text, but I'd love to have all of that with my video collection. Instead of deploying a big cluster and trying to figure out how to do all that, I can push the data to the public cloud, which is free, except that I have to have a network uh, (laughs) run really cool tools on the public cloud to, to create tags for my data, uh, put those tags on my data locally, and then just throw out the data that I had in the public
0: cloud. Oh, so that solves the egress problem that you have with public cloud, where they charge you to get the data out. All you're pulling out is the metadata, (laughs) leaving the rest of the data. Goodbye. I don't need you anymore. (laughs) And
2: we have a, a customer doing a concept
0: like this. They push, videos
2: to, to, to the three majors, public clouds, they use their speech to text uh, tools uh, and, and they compare the results of the three. And mm. then they're big enough actually that they're talking to the three of them saying, you know, you really stink at this, uh, but these guys are better <laughs> um, and we can work with the, all of them and get a better result as well. So, and again, that's pushing the data to the public cloud. Uh, I just pull back this, the really small result that uses all of the expertise that they have, you know, 500 engineers working on. Mm-hmm. And then I just throw out the data that I push the public cloud. And I think we'll see a lot of that.
1: Yeah, that's for, for a really- what it's worth, Brad, all of the the metadata browser function that's in the Artesca interface couldn't be more straightforward. It is just simple and easy to get all that data out and look at those tags and search on them and mm-hmm. all the rest. So I, for anyone that's not made much effort or cared much about metadata against the objects that you're storing, uh, Slick, man, slick—the way you guys laid that out.
2: And I think metadata search is really cool, but you have to have metadata. And and exactly, I think we're
1: exactly. we're we're be coming toward a world where people are
2: going to believe in metadata uh, more and more uh, as as a great thing to accompany their data. And a really great thing about a platform like this is your metadata and your data are together. They they mm-hmm. live together, and and you don't go doggone it. My my data is two days. Newer than my metadata, or I lost all my metadata and things like that. It's it's all together in one place.
0: That has been one of the really big advantages of Object Store is that that close link between metadata and the actual data. And and it, I've seen many use cases along those lines. Uh, one thing you mentioned way back when. Ethan first asked the cloud question was deploying it on Kubernetes, and that pricked up my ears because you know, day two cloud, we have to talk about Kubernetes. Uh, is that the platform that Artesca is actually running on in the background? Is it using a distribution of Kubernetes to run? Nicolas, our man,
4: <laughs> sure. Uh, so yes, Ned, you're you're entirely correct. Um, we at Scality embraced Kubernetes a couple of years ago to really run our software on a cluster of machines. Uh, Kubernetes really makes that easy. And then in essence, um, the, the Artesca services as exposed to the outside are Kubernetes native applications, which run in a Kubernetes cluster. Now, of course, um, we can't really expect our customers to have a Kubernetes cluster lying around. So we did build our own um, Kubernetes distribution, um, which we embed so you want as part of the product. So when HP and Scality come to an opportunity with Artesca, then HP provides the hardware, scality provides the software to to run the Kubernetes cluster. It's called Metal Cages Distribution. Um, And then we install the the various pieces that make up the Artesca software, both the storage as well as the the data management services in such a Kubernetes cluster. Uh, What's interesting is on how one hand, this really makes a bunch of things possible out of the box for our engineers who implement this software uh, mm-hmm. where before they had to, 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 build automation and tooling, et cetera, themselves. Now, everything is like API driven and, and just works. Um, but it also allows us to, to, to run this software in other environments. Uh, as an example, we are working there again with HP, uh, with their Kubernetes offering called Esmeral. Um, to run the Artesca suite or part of the Artesca suite on an HP provided Kubernetes platform.
0: So I, I don't have to use the necessarily the Scality distribution to run Artesca. I could run it on any standard Kubernetes distribution, including the one provided by HPE.
4: We are currently looking at the various options. Um, in the end, this is a commercial product. So if we if we go in, we need to support the whole stack. And right. Kubernetes is not always, I mean, it's not always the same. Yes, there is there is a conformance <laughs> test suite. So there is a certain behavior you can expect from any Kubernetes installation. Um, but still, when we want to really support an installation, and then this is about data, this is about data that customers store. So it's super important. It's like the, the core of their business sometimes. Uh, we really want to make sure that the whole thing works, is operable, works on the long term. Uh, Not just one shot, you install it and then maybe two weeks later or when the Kubernetes cluster gets upgraded, things break again. So we are looking at the various various offerings of Kubernetes distributions uh, to support those on a case-by-case basis. At the same time, technically, uh, we're not buying into or we're not tying ourselves into one of those distributions. So we really use Kubernetes the way you're supposed to use it to to, to get the the, um, portability benefits. Uh, Kubernetes and containers bring as well.
0: Okay, so to a certain degree, even though you're running on Kubernetes, that doesn't necessarily matter to the customer who's consuming yeah, Arteska. Yeah. They don't need to know that. It's it's nice, it's a nice detail, but do they actually need to know or care that you're using Kubernetes in the background? That's
4: exactly the intent. Uh, so if if you're a Kubernetes expert, then you can dive deep and maybe even run Artesca on on your own um, platform. If you are, if you don't know about Kubernetes, you don't want to know about Kubernetes. You just want to use the Artesca, the, the product, the service it provides. Then we make sure that you can. And the fact that we use Kubernetes internally, I tend to call it an implementation detail. Um, <laughs> it's there, but it's not really exposed to the end user. If you want to administer or use the services,
0: okay,
2: maybe so a it's little bit like um, maybe it's a little bit like uh, an Android device. Um, you don't have to be a Linux expert to do an Android device. And probably most people you ask wouldn't even know that they have a Linux device in their hand.
0: <laughs> even though it's the most like popular mobile operating system in the world, no one knows that they're running Linux, right? <laughs> that's funny. So uh, based off of the fact that you're running Kubernetes, but that's abstracted away from the end user, what does a typical design look like? Because it sounds like I'm going to implement Artesca in its own dedicated cluster of hardware and then going to access it through APIs, I'm guessing, is that the typical architecture that you would have for a deployment?
4: Exactly, Um, and then you mentioned APIs, of course, object storage, the the, the object storage service itself, you access through an S3 or other AWS APIs, uh, compatible API, be it S3 for the data, be it IAM for the identity management. Uh, When it comes to deployment, operations, upgrading, for example, uh, we use the, the so-called operator pattern um, that is quite, um, or, uh, quite popular in the Kubernetes sphere uh, to, to really deploy and manage and lifecycle all our services. So if you want to, for example, upgrade an Artesca, uh, you would issue a call towards the Kubernetes API, change an object there, and then the upgrade will happen for you um, using the the, well, the standard Kubernetes primitives that we use internally. And then last but not least, there is the, the whole operability aspect of things. You want to be able to monitor, to get statistics out of the system, to get logs out of the system, search those logs, et cetera, et cetera. So there we, we also embed various open source and, and very well-known um, technologies like Prometheus and, and, and Loki, um, which can also be accessed as an API uh, or through their APIs from your existing data center infrastructure management, for example, or from the Artesca UIs. Uh, for the, the Artesca UI itself is the is so called single page application, um, which is really just a consumer of the various APIs that Artesca exposes.
2: I think, in, in a complement to that, uh, you can imagine a, deploying Artesca more or less without storage as a data orchestrator. So, uh, you can talk to Artesca and store data on a number of different public clouds on your own private infrastructure that you've already deployed and use it for lifecycle management, for, for pulling in data that's coming into a public cloud and downloading it to my private cloud. So, I think those are the kind of environments you very possibly might be very interested in deploying it in, in a Kubernetes cluster. You can even imagine being, you know, I've decided that we're moving off of Cloud X. And so we deploy Artesca in the public cloud next. Next to, to my storage there, I download all the data using all the tools in Artesca over time, and then I just shut it down and, and go home. So there, there's many different ways that we can use it for data orchestration or for providing a global view and even adding metadata to maybe platforms that don't have much metadata. So in, in that environment, you don't really need much in the way of underlying storage. So it it, it can be with underlying storage or it can just be a tool for for managing data.
0: Okay, so when I'm thinking about Artesca, initially I was thinking of it as just like a storage array that I interact with. But what you're yeah. saying is it it's more than just a storage array that has a management interface and a data plane. You can use it to manage things that aren't necessarily running the Artesca uh, the Artesca storage software? Is that is that what you're saying, Brad? You can think of it
2: uh, as a is it kind of a pane of glass to a whole collection of places that you have data stored. I've got data on uh, Google I've got data on Azure I've got data on AWS I have data on a platform a Scality platform that I deployed 5 years ago and has 10 petabytes of data and I want uh, I want to try maybe using a public cloud a little bit so I can use Artesca kind of pull some some of some of the data in push it to a public cloud have a global view on it you can do things like migrating data from place to A to B and if you talk to your data through Artesca um, Wherever it is, Artesco will know where to find it and you can augment your data with with a, a metadata add on. So all those are kinds of things can be done. So really, uh, it's a tool both for doing your storage on the back end, but also moving around. One of the things we've learned over the years of providing storage is that people are are not sure what the future looks like. Uh, maybe that we didn't need to provide storage to figure that out. but. But you you have a reality where people are not sure, is my future all on-premises? Is my future all on AWS? Is my future a little of both? Is my future, maybe my my today is AWS and tomorrow it's gonna be back on-prem. Yeah, uh, and, and
1: is, is my future repatriating everything I'm spending big money on in public cloud and bringing it back in, or or what does that look like? Yeah,
2: exactly. And for those kinds of things, the tool um, has a lot of effort has been put into moving data back and forth, and moving so, data in and out of public clouds is harder than it looks because you know if you make a thousand requests, if uh, ten fail, that's a mess. And so we're, we've we've done worked very hard to deal with those kinds of problems in an intelligent way.
1: Brad, would it be an exaggeration to think of Artesca as a um, as a proxy, like a storage proxy? I talked to Artesca. Artesca has a whole bunch of different storage providers it couldn't access. Um, as long as I'm talking to Artesca, maybe I don't care about the ultimate destination of where my object storage is because Artesca just handles that for me.
2: That is certainly one of its possibilities. Um um, like in a sense, like many web servers could be a proxy, or they can actually be be the real web server. And so we can do both. We can be the yeah. proxy, but we can be the storage. And one of the things that's very special about our Tesca is we've developed some really exciting new um, data protection algorithms. Uh, Scality was famous, famous. I like to think we're famous for for um, erasure coding uh, across multiple servers which allows all kinds of positive things, really good data protection, having servers fail, being able to do offline upgrades. We didn't wanna lose that, but we wanted to be able to run on one server. So we've combined two kinds of erasure coding, uh, local to the machine, between disks on the machine, uh, or or, or media on the machine, and then on the network, both. So you have two orthogonal protections, if you like, on your data that makes for much better data protection, uh, makes for a lot more possibilities, but also provides the ability to, to protect data on a single machine, which we couldn't do with the other technology.
4: And maybe to just go a bit further on that point, um, next to the ability to protect data on a single machine, we now can also reconstruct that data, even if it's partial, that sits on that machine if you have a disk failure on that machine. One of the drawbacks of large-scale storage systems is when even an individual, which which target individual disks, is that when a disk fails, all of a sudden, there's a lot of network traffic that needs to go on in order to reconstruct the data that happens to sit on that disk. Now, with the growth of capacity of disks, that becomes problematic, because if you have, say, a 16 terabyte disk, then Mm -hmm. reconstructing it would mean roughly 16 terabyte of network traffic, while our local erasure coding now also allows us to reconstruct this disk locally without really impacting your network and hence most probably impacting your um, production workflows as well.
3: I'd like to add to that point. I, I finally have something about hardware to talk about. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so the capacities of disks are enormous. You know, when we started selling um, object storage years ago, Brad, um, what were disks? Four terabytes?
2: The first platform we deployed had one terabyte disk, 12 of them in a, in a 2U server. Whoa.
3: And we thought that was awesome, right? Yeah. So, you know, hard disks are now 18 terabytes. NVMe disks are 15 terabytes. I can give you, I, I just checked my data, I can give you more than 800 terabytes of raw capacity in a 1U server. So, you know, the the size and shape of the, the fault zone, the footprint is completely different. So everything Nicholas said about being able to do that um, that repair and correct connect, correction without having to go onto the network is super important, and it it is part of the story that helped deliver the the possibility of a single-node object storage solution that's not a toy. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a real system, and it has all the goodness and all the protection that you expect. And I'm here to, to deliver you the platforms in the size and the shapes and that you want. When you're
1: doing the erasure coding recalculation to fill in the gap on the failed disk, what are we saying? That that's all happening on the node that has the failed disk and so it can figure it all out in memory. This is what's supposed to go here and then repopulate. You know, you pop in a fresh disk, it repopulates.
2: So the idea is that we, we're not big believers in having a fresh disk that's just sitting there waiting for something to do. Yeah. Uh, so the idea is uh, if if... Uh, a media fails, uh, we will rebuild the data within the realm of possibility if there's enough space on the existing media. So you rebuild the data as long as you don't run out of space. And that's why we like to have customers keep their platforms not quite full, because the whole idea of a platform like this is you sleep at night when you you lose a disk, nobody gets up. Um, you don't have the the thirty minute ultra premium support where the guy comes running in and replaces the flashing light disks on the server. Sometimes they do it at the end of the week when they're they're running low on, on spare capacity, right? So that's
1: right. ok. so I, I, I get it now because you well, as the network component here of the day two cloud uh, host constellation, Net and I, it's just just <laughs> two stars in this constellation. But, you said I don't have to reuse the network to repopulate 16 terabytes worth. So I was trying to put together how that works. I think that makes better sense now if you're redistributing uh, where, I don't know if stripes is the right word, but effectively, you know, stripes uh, of data along multiple disks to uh, put that all back in. Because you can't just be doing it in memory on the fly forever. Um, That doesn't perform well. So you got to put it back down somewhere. But we're not putting it back on the disk that failed. We're just re-spreading it out across the Mm -hmm. remaining disks that are in the infrastructure. And uh, then we get our performance back at the the, the trade-off being, I've got to have that spare capacity in the array to be able to support that. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming that's an array building thing. When you build the array, you're going to know at build time how much spare you want to have in to account for failures, yeah? Yes,
2: yes. I mean, I would say, start with saying yes, but um, the reality is it's all pretty flexible. Yeah. You can add disks to the system. It's not a static, you know, I wrote it once and it's all all set in stone. I can add more disks in the future. I can, um, I can add different protection schemes in the future if I need to. Well,
1: sometimes and I think, they think I'm not that interested in storage. And then we have these conversations and it gets super nerdy and it really is interesting. <laughs> and distributed storage is, is a fascinating topic. But the really
2: cool thing I think is that we didn't quit doing the network stuff. Right. And and one of the great things that comes with a network component is being able to upgrade a a physical machine while the system is running in production. Yeah. So you, you take one of your machines offline. If the data is on another machine um, as as well, either via ratio coding or by replication, your data is still available. So high availability when you're in a multi-server environment becomes absolutely a reality. And if you run out of correction codes on your local machine, uh, you can go to the network and to complete the work that was mostly done locally. Mm. So you you, know, you have m- multiple ways of saving your hide in a sense.
1: So let's map this architecture that we've been talking about and how data is distributed across the Artesca world to Kubernetes again. And I don't mean from an admin perspective. I mean, I have a Kubernetes cluster. I need to provide storage to uh, pods that are, in, that are running on that cluster. Can I attach Artesca storage to that?
4: Uh, and what does that look like? The interesting thing about object storage is that there is not really such thing as attaching it. Mm-hmm. Object storage is exposed yeah. user, using APIs, which sit on, on plain and on HTTP or HTTPS over plain TCP IP sockets. So, so unlike traditional SAM, NAS, iSCSI, NFS, whatever, based storage, you don't need to attach anything. You don't need any type of privileged kernel space operation to mount something or start a daemon or, or whatever else. You can simply talk HTTPS um, mm-hmm. to the storage system from your application. The tricky part lies in, of course, assuming there is network connectivity between the the front end of the storage system and where your Kubernetes cluster and its pods are running. Um, The the, the tricky part is in object storage is access credentials. Mm. Uh, You need a way to to mint credentials, uh, a secret key and an access key in, in AWS terms. Uh, which then allow- and expose this to your application in order for your application to be able to talk or create objects in a bucket, fetch objects from a bucket, et cetera, et cetera. We are working, uh, of course, all of this is API driven using the IAM APIs. We are also working with some efforts in, in, in the Kubernetes SIG storage to identify uh, or specify some um, standardized Kubernetes APIs, which make it possible to consume object storage buckets similar to how you can do it today um, using persistent volumes and and CSI, which gives you file or block storage. We're working with a bunch of vendors on an effort called Cozy, the container uh, object storage interface, which is a way for you declaratively with your application to say, I want a bucket in the object storage system. Um, I want to get access credentials to that bucket in that object system, uh, object storage system. And when my pod starts, I want those credentials to be exposed to the application as environment variables, as a little fi- virtual file, a logical file in the pod, whatever uh, is, is, is being used uh, to really automate this whole flow with your application, CI, CD system, or whatever you may be using. But of course, all of this is not strictly required. Uh, today, if you have an Artesca running next to your Kubernetes cluster, you can... Create a bucket using the standard S3 call. You can mint a secret using the IAM calls. You put those in Kubernetes in a secret object. You expose the secret object as a volume mount to your pod, your pod, your application container, or the stuff running in your container. Reads the secret access key, secret key, and knows the endpoints to talk to, and can perform S3 operations to the storage system. So is the storage system then I've got my credentials
1: now I can make the call I'll be authenticated and allowed am I as a as a kubernetes pod talking to something that's inside my kubernetes cluster or am I basically reaching outside of the cluster to hit the object store
4: assuming your kubernetes cluster is not the one in which artesca runs <laughs> then you go outside of your kubernetes cluster so so let's
1: let's put it in a, a framework of recommended architecture. Would I typically be hitting my own cluster that is running Artesca? Uh, is that like a, a perf- ideally that's good for performance, et cetera, or would I more typically be reaching out uh, outside of the cluster? Again, thinking proper architecture and so on. Oh, the answer is it depends. I'm seeing furrowed <laughs> brows across the screen here. I love it.
4: Uh- both are possible, and both have their pros and their cons. Um, it, it, in the end, it really boils down to networking. yeah mm. so so if 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 your Kubernetes cluster and the Artesca cluster sit within the same layer two domain, for example, then it's not going to make much of a difference, whether these yeah. are in logically the same Kubernetes cluster or not because you're just going within the same networking segment. Uh, if your Kubernetes cluster sits in a completely different data center even, then there is a performance impact. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. And, and I think clearly we've got kind of schools of schools of Kubernetes users. We have those that I, we have our Kubernetes environment and, and we know it like, like, you know, I know the back of my hand and I, I don't want to deploy somebody else's Kubernetes environment and have to learn that whole mess, right? So deploying it in, in our environment um, is what we want to do. The other person, I don't even want to know what Kubernetes cluster is. Just <laughs> deploy it next to my platform, and then we decided to start using Kubernetes. Well, you know, we did deploy another one, and, and there's no big deal. So, there's it, really not a, a, a perfect solution. I think, you know, some people that are really into Kubernetes would be happy to get their hands in in the down on the grease and and figure out how <laughs> the whole thing works. Right.
0: Right. I did want to dig a little bit deeper into how different folks might interact with Artesca because some of them are going to use that data plane to talk the the S3 compatible protocols to just put stuff in buckets and, and take it out. But there's also people who want to operate and create the buckets and control the policies. And then above that, you've got the management layer of just how do I manage my cluster and interact that way? Is it all API driven? Is it all CLI or a GUI? What are my options? and maybe we start with at the management layer. If I want to manage my Artesca deployment, how am I doing that?
4: Uh, fundamentally, everything we do is primarily API-driven. All the operations you can perform against an Artesca cluster, an Artesca installation, is, first, there is an API to do it. OK. Of course. We don't want end users to issue curl commands in a terminal to interact with that <laughs> API. That would right. be that would be nuts. So we do build uh, UIs for various operations as well. Um, we try to make those as extensive as possible, given what you can do within our Tesca installation. And for some pieces, we're also adding some CLI support. We do know that people are looking to integrate our Tesca operations. Um, in their existing automation platforms, think Ansible, think SaltStack, et cetera. Uh, now, given the, the API-first approach, it's very reasonable and fairly simple to call into our test operational um, APIs from such infrastructure as well.
0: Okay, so if I had a pipeline where I want to deploy a bucket that's part of my application and set the IAM policies as needed, that can all be orchestrated through the pipeline, talking to your, your API, regardless of which automation software I'm using, right?
4: Yes, and those APIs are even not Arteska specific. We really build it such that we are fully compatible with the AWS S3 and IAM APIs. So if you have a module, which can work like a, um, an Ansible module, which can work against AWS IAM, then for the set of uh, IAM calls we support in Artesca, that very same module you can call and you <laughs> in Artesca. You don't need to develop any new mo- uh, module to work with the AWS compatible APIs we expose.
0: Okay, so if I'm really already baked into that S3 and AWS ecosystem and I have my automation stuff set up, dropping some Artesca on-premises is going to be very beneficial to me because I can just keep using all the operational things that I've written already.
2: And there's Tools written in—I I lost count of how many different programming languages—but certainly, Liboto is maybe the most famous. The Python libraries for running running with AWS, and those work unmodified uh, with Scala, these technologies, both for the S3 interface interacting with your data, but also for the IAM uh, interface. So, creating policies, uh, creating buckets, creating uh, user credentials—all of those things are—you are you just use a standard set of of tools, and you can even use their documentation uh, if, if you want. We have documentation, but you can use theirs as well.
0: Okay.
1: Well, we are getting close to the end of our time. I, I, this has been one of those conversations where I want to nerd out more on certain things, but ah, 45 minutes of a show. ah. But Brad, I do have a practical question for you here to, as, we, as we wrap this up. We've been talking about Artesca, the Artesca storage solution, how it does things. But what, what if I'm already a Scality customer? I've been using Ring, uh, let's say. Do these two systems, the new one and what I've had before, do they play together in some way? Or am I do I need to get on my uh, migration trousers and uh, begin planning moving data from one set to another? How does that all work?
2: So they absolutely work well together. And we certainly believe some Scality customers that have Rings today will have Rings 10 years from now. But uh, I think clearly what you can do with Artesca, we talked about earlier about the the notion of um, data locations. your scality ring is just another one of those data locations. Uh, and as a matter of fact, maybe you have two or three scality rings. Uh, you can have an Artesca platform that will make those scality rings look more like a single platform uh, and and you can uh, move data back and forth between your your two, three, five, ten scality ring platforms if you want to so uh they they really play in the same space and over time we're going to integrate more and more uh the the administrative functionality so that you can dig down through the artesca inter- interface and, and interact with your ring uh, in a little bit more more interesting ways and bring stats up and then have a single pane of glass for for your your mix artesca ring world
0: all right that- that's good to hear. You, it's not a rip and replace kind of situation. You, you can use your existing uh, investments not. and just and augment it, make it make it even better, <laughs> go faster, right? If,
2: All right this, if someone has twenty petabytes, rip and replace does is a non-starter.
0: No, hmm. but I think you, you made an interesting point, and and as we move to wrap up, uh, one of the things that really jumped out to me is this is an object storage solution for everybody else. You, you don't have to start at 20 petabytes or 100 petabytes. You can start at a smaller size. If you need object storage, this is a solution that is useful, not just for the mega enterprises out there, but also the the, the SMBs as well. Is that a correct statement, do you think, Brad? Uh, absolutely. And as a
2: matter of fact, if you want to use it uh, without support, up to 50 terabytes is
0: completely free. So. Oh my goodness. Well, 50 terabytes, that's well, I guess I could store a lot of 50 terabytes. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous when I think about it. Yeah, we will include links. Uh, we've got one for the main product page and also two Gorilla Guides, which I, I know the folks who write the Gorilla Guides, and they do a great job. So those are definitely good reads for people to get into. Uh, Brad, Nicholas, Carol, thank you so much for joining us today on Day 2 Cloud. And hey, listeners out there, Virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you've got suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow, or you can fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. Did you know that Packet Pushers has a weekly newsletter? It's called Human Infrastructure Magazine, and it's loaded with the best stuff we have found on the internet, plus our own feature articles and commentary. It's free, and it doesn't suck. So you can get the next issue via packetpushers.net slash newsletter. Until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making